The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Do you want to learn how to manage your own investments? Are you ready to stop paying investment management fees and start building wealth? The DIY Investing Podcast is dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, and resources you need to be a better investor. Learn how to make investments through the use of fundamental analysis, mental models, and business management insights. Now, here's your host, value investing expert, Trey Henninger. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the DIY Investing Podcast. My name is Trey Henniger and I'm your host. In today's episode, I will be discussing leverage and margin, specifically how I leverage my equity portfolio without the use of margin. Before I get started, I want to make a short request. If you haven't already, please consider giving this podcast a five-star rating and review. Your ratings help to grow the podcast audience. I would really appreciate it. That is the best way you can support the show at this time. Thank you for your support. So if you're like some people and you don't like details and you don't want to get all into the numbers of how to leverage your equity portfolio without margin and you really don't care about my long-term perspective, then I'll just tell you the short answer is a mortgage. But let's dive into the long answer. So what is good about leverage? There's a few questions we're going to ask today and find a way to answer. The first is what is good about leverage? The second is what is bad about margin debt? And then the third, we're going to talk about what is good about mortgage debt and why you should prefer that to mar margin debt. Okay, so what is good about leverage? The key piece with leverage that is good for you as an investor is that leverage allows you to use other people's money to make investments. Making investments is a way for you to earn money. Now, specifically, we're talking, we're separating ourselves between investments and speculations. Again, speculations are those things where it's more akin to gambling. There's uncertainty and there's a lot of risk involved with the idea that, well, you might make money, might lose money. Um, and there's not a concrete rationale that says you have a positive sum, a positive expected value for this bet. It's, it, it's instead actually a bet. It's a bet that could be positive, could be negative, but the expected value is either zero or negative. Investments are very different. The expected value of an investment is positive. It doesn't mean the actual resulting value will be positive. It doesn't mean you always will make money with investments, but the expected value of an investment is positive. So therefore, if we know that an expected value of an investment is positive, then it would make sense that you want to make investments in order to make more money. That's what we're doing here as investors. We're making our investments to find ways to make more money. 
Therefore, you tend to be limited by the amount of investments you make by how much money you have. If you want to make additional investments, you either have to earn more money, save more money, or you have to find ways to leverage other people's money to make investments that benefit you. So that's what we're talking about. We want to know the ways in which we can leverage other people's money in order to make investments that benefit ourselves. That is a good way to grow your personal portfolio and your personal net worth over time is if you can find ways to leverage other people's money in an ethical, morally responsible way. One of the most common methods that you can leverage other people's money in the investment business is as a portfolio manager when you earn a percentage of return on assets of the assets that you manage as an investment manager. That is one way that you are leveraging other people's money in order to grow your personal net worth. But we want to talk about more general ways of leverage today. And the most common way that people attain leverage in investments is through debt. And the most common way of gaining leverage through debt is margin debt. So let's talk about margin debt. What is margin debt and why is margin debt bad? What's bad about margin debt? So margin debt is debt that you receive that is lent to you by your broker or by your bank. So money that is lent to you by your broker. So whoever you have your money with, I use Fidelity for a lot of my investments. They're one of my multiple brokers that I have. But let's say Fidelity is lending me money to buy stocks. I want to buy $10,000 in stocks, but I don't have the cash to buy those $10,000 worth of stocks. Well, if you sign a margin contract with Fidelity, they will allow you to borrow $10,000 from them and then invest that money into stocks. But the caveat here is there's a lot of terms with this debt that isn't present in other types of debt. You see, Fidelity will lend me $10,000, but there's a catch. One, they're going to charge me interest. They're going to charge me a significant amount of interest in order to make that purchase. Now, every broker is going to charge different interest rates, and some brokers will advertise for very low rates. Some will advertise for different aspects. Maybe the percentage that you're able to margin up your, the percentage that you're able to leverage up your portfolio, they might offer you a higher percentage that you that they'll let you leverage up, but they might charge you a higher interest rate. These are the sorts of things that the brokers use to compete against each other. But the key pat piece is that they're going to charge you a high interest rate for your debt. This is not a low interest debt. The second thing is that, and really the most important piece of margin debt, is that margin debt is callable. At any time, outside of your control, basically, your broker has the capability in the terms to call your mortgage debt due immediately. Now, usually those terms revolve something around the percentage of your margin debt to the total value of your portfolio. And so maybe that, you know, you can borrow as much as you want up to, let's say, 50% of your investment portfolio. Well, that's all well and good. Let's say I borrowed $10,000 in margin debt and my portfolio is $50,000 large. Well, that's great. 
Um, my margin debt's only 20% of my portfolio. So I'm well protected from ever having that debt called against me. The problem comes is what happens during a downtrend in the market or what happens if there's a temporary but not permanent change in one of your businesses that causes the stock prices to drop. Well, if your portfolio were to drop from $50,000 down to $20,000, at the moment you hit that $20,000 mark, now you have a problem because your broker will immediately call due your margin debt because you've exceeded this fifty thousand, this fifty percent range, and you, through the terms of your agreement, have violated their margin debt policy. Which means that they now call the debt due, and they will force you to sell your stocks at the low point. And now you've gone from instead of just having a fifty thousand dollar portfolio. You've been forced into selling when it reaches $20,000 so that you can pay off your $10,000 margin debt. So now you've locked in a massive loss on your portfolio because the debt is callable. That means the broker has the ability to call the debt due immediately and in full for your debt. These are very bad terms for you to be indebted to someone in. You don't want to have your debt callable by the entity that you owe the debt to. So that's the number one biggest concern with margin debt. But there are some other concerns with margin debt. And I mentioned one of them here already. Margin debt can force you to sell your investments at a bad time. As value investors, we tend to invest in stocks that are sometimes frequently and for long periods out of balance with the intrinsic value of the company. So a company could be doing very well, but the stock price can become vastly dislocated from it. This means that you don't have control over temporary changes in the stock price. No matter how good you are as an investor in terms of your research process, there's always the risk that the stock prices might drop on you even if the company is performing well. That's outside of your control. But it also means that during those periods where the stock price is down, if you don't have margin debt, you can simply hold on, wait for the stock price to correct back up to what it's worth, and you don't ha- you're never forced to sell out of your companies if you're only investing with cash. The problem becomes when you stop investing with cash. When you bring margin into the equation, now you've introduced a third party that can force you to not only make a bad decision, but to make a bad decision at the worst possible time. So you really need to avoid margin debt for this reason. But there's another key piece that makes margin debt bad. Margin debt typically has non-fixed interest rates. When you borrow on margin, it's usually a floating interest rate. One day they could be charging you 8%, the next day they could charge you 9%, the day after that they could charge you 12%. Now, obviously you need to read the terms of your agreements, but this is not abnormal that the interest rate can fluctuate based upon how things are going in the rest of the market. Interest rate could also fluctuate based upon the percentage of margin debt compared to your investment portfolio. So just when you need the margin debt, to not be a problem, the interest rate might rise during a market crash. So these are all bad characteristics of margin debt. And these bad characteristics exceed the benefit of using other people's money to make investments. 
Margin debt on its own is not worth taking on to gain the investment leverage because these characteristics of margin debt are too bad and too onerous to be worth it for an investor. So what's the solution to this? How should you leverage your equity portfolio without margin? And here we need a method that is basically the opposite of margin debt, where we're looking for something that's non-callable. We want something with low interest rates. We want fixed interest rates. And we want to never be forced to sell our investments at a bad time. The result of this is mortgage debt. Debt on real estate has vastly better terms than debt on stocks. Why is that? Well, it varies country to country, but a lot of countries around the world have government guarantees backing up lending to real estate property. So when you borrow to purchase a house or to purchase an apartment or a condo, Usually there's government backing behind that debt. They're insuring the debt at some point, which means that the bank that's lending the money to you is able to offer you better terms than they otherwise would. Even the presence in the United States of a 30-year mortgage is purely a result of government meddling in the industry and allowing that to happen. Banks on their own don't like lending for 30-year terms. They want to lend at 10-year terms or less because it gives them more control and reduced interest rate risk. But banks are willing to lend for 30 years at fixed rates when the U.S. government steps in and guarantees the debt. Not every country in the world and not every Western country in the world has 30-year mortgages available. It is quite common for 10 years or potentially 15 years to be the longest term available for purchasing a house or condo in other areas of the world. So for my U.S.-based investors, this might be news to you. You might not be aware that the reason 30-year fixed-rate mortgages are available is because the government has gotten involved in the system. That's fine. This is not a critique. This is not political. This is just simply why you're able to get the terms you're able to get on mortgages is because the government has gotten involved. Some countries haven't gotten involved to the same manner. So this will vary, of course, based upon where you are listening to this. So I encourage you, if you're listening to this outside of the United States, look up what the types of mortgage debt is available in your area and what the terms are, because my personal experience is primarily with U.S.-based investments and U.S.-based real estate. But I do know that there are other countries with different setups that allow you to have similar but not necessarily identical terms. So what is good about mortgage debt? Well, first and foremost, mortgage debt is non-callable. When you take out a mortgage on a house, on a primary residence, the bank cannot call that debt due tomorrow. So for the purposes of this example, we're going to talk about mortgages on the range in the similar ballpark of what you might see in an average home in the United States. So what is the median housing price in the United States? The median home price in the United States for a house is $200,000 as of 2017, according to Zillow. Now, if you are sitting in a big city, This might sound very cheap. If you're sitting in a big city in the United States, if you're sitting in a big city around the world, the New York cities, the Londons, Toronto, um, a lot of Australia, 
a lot of major cities around the world, $200,000 might sound cheap. In a lot of rural areas in the United States, $200,000 might sound expensive. So take it for what it is, but I'm just using this as an example to illustrate what we're going to talk about today. So for all intents and purposes, we're going to assume the value of our house here or the, or the cost of a mortgage is about $200,000. So let's think about what that means. When you get a loan from a bank for a house that's worth $200,000, or a house that's cost $200,000. Let's say you put down a 20% mortgage payment or 20% down payment. So that's $40,000 on your $200,000 house. That means the outstanding loan is $160,000. That $160,000 can be taken out in a loan on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. That 30-year fixed rate is very important because what it means is that you have fixed mortgage payments every month for the period of 30 years or 360 mortgage payments. As we think about this, though, it's really important. By taking out a loan in that manner, you are not forced to come up with $160,000 the next day. If you miss a mortgage payment, let's say you're paying for a year, you're making your mortgage payment, let's say the mortgage payment's $1,000, and every month you're making a mortgage payment of $1,000. If one month you miss your mortgage payment, you're having a rough patch, and you can't make the payment, or it's late, the bank is not allowed by the United States government to call the debt due the next day. So, if you were to miss that mortgage payment, what is not going to happen is the bank's not going to say, you owe us $158,000 tomorrow or we're going to take your house. Instead, there's other terms that are involved. There's a process that they have to go through. Um, they have to allow a certain period of time for you to be in default before they can start a process to remove you and evict you from the house, before they can start a process of liquidating the house. There's all these terms that prevent the bank from taking the asset from you. This is beneficial for the person taking out the loan. This is specifically structured in a way that makes it hard for the bank to take the asset from you. These are the sorts of terms you want when you're trying to find leverage and use other people's money to improve your investment performance. That's the number one thing that makes mortgage debt interesting. But the second thing is really important too. Mortgage debt is typically a low fixed interest rate. Interest rates in the United States right now are somewhere in the 3.6 to 4% annual interest rate range. That means if you were to borrow, let me get my math right. Yeah, so I think my math is right. If you were to borrow $200,000 on a house, that mortgage means you're going to pay approximately $8,000 a year in interest payments with a 4% interest rate. Versus if you were to borrow $200,000 of margin debt and the interest rate was 8%, well, now you are paying $16,000 a year in interest payments, it's twice as much. So this is really important. But the other thing is that's fixed. For the entire 30 years, you're not having to worry about paying a higher interest rate, which means that you're able to leverage that fixed interest rate to plan for what types of investments could be used to beat that interest rate hurdle. Another piece of this is that when you take out a mortgage and you take on mortgage debt, 
the bank you owe the mortgage to is often a different financial entity than the custodian of your equity portfolio. If it's not, maybe it should be, there are benefits to separating this part of your financial life and having different parties interact with you on different parts of your portfolio or your overall financial life. And what this means is when you had bad margin debt, when you reached the point where your margin debt was something you couldn't pay immediately, but it needed to be paid, your broker would instantly sell for you your investments to force you to pay the debt to make sure that they don't lose money. The bank, if it's a separate entity, they cannot force you to sell any of your stocks in order to make your mortgage payment. They don't have that power. Now, they can. T- now, if you stop making your mortgage payments, they can eventually take you to court. They can sue you. They can force you to pay um, if they can win a court order. But this is a long process. And maybe over the course of six months during this process, you're able to find a time where you can exit your stocks without them being in a bad situation. And you can get a fair value for them. And then you can pay off your debt. This is all in a worst case scenario. If the things are going bad with your your job, you're bad with your finances, and they're also bad with your equity portfolio. But by using a mortgage debt, you've eliminated some of those concurrent risks that might have happened if you were using margin debt. So we've talked a little bit about what is good about mortgage debt. It's basically the opposite of margin debt. It's non-callable, has low fixed interest rates. Missed mortgage payments can't force you to sell your investments. So the final question we really have to answer is, would you rather have home equity or stock equity? And this comes down to two considerations. It comes down to your risk tolerance and the return potential. So the risk tolerance is something you really need to consider. The safest way to invest is to purchase all of your stocks in cash, and to purchase all of your houses in cash. If you're buying a house, if you bought it with cash, you have minimized your risk of default, and you've minimized your risk of catastrophic failure to your finances because you have a paid off house and the only person you have to pay is your tax payments and insurance. That is a much safer position than having a mortgage on a house just like it's a much safer position than having debt on an investment, it's better to have all your investments held with just bought with just cash. But the question becomes, let's say we want a middle ground and we aren't buying our houses with cash, but we do want to buy our stocks with cash. Well, then if you're looking at them, which would you rather have the equity in? If you have $200,000, or sorry, let's say you have $250,000 and you're trying to buy a $200,000 house. We're going to start with that $250,000 sitting in stocks. You own $250,000 of stocks. What do you do when you're buying a $200,000 median United States house? Well, you have a few options. You can, t- you can sell $200,000 of your stocks and buy the house for $200,000. So you've moved from $250,000 of stock equity to having $50,000 of stock equity and $200,000 of home equity. So you're very safe. This is the safest position to have with that starting position. 
well, okay, what if you want to take some risk because you prefer stock equity over home equity? Well, you could balance it by having only paying 50% of the house with cash and 50% with debt. So now you would have $100,000 in home equity, $100,000 in home debt, and you would be able to keep $150,000 in the stock market. So now you're still favoring stock equity, but you still have a very safe home mortgage. In the United States, the threshold for what's considered a safe, normal method for taking out a mortgage is a 20% down payment. So here for our example, that would be a $40,000 down payment. So if you were to take the normal $40,000 down payment, put it on a house, you'd end up with $160,000 in mortgage debt, $40,000 in home equity, and $210,000 in stock equity. So that's quite safe in terms of what the normal standard recommendation is. You have 20% in equity. Well, what if you want to leverage your equity even further? And this would be where you can put down, let's say, the minimum on your home when you purchase it. Now, it used to be available that you could buy homes with 0% down. That's no longer the norm in the United States after the financial crisis. But I have been able to find that you can often find ways to put 3% or 5% down on a house. So let's say you're going to put the minimum down on the house and buy your house with a very high loan to value ratio on the mortgage. Here we're going to assume that you made a 3% down payment instead of a 20% down payment. So a 3% down payment on a $200,000 house is $6,000, which means you're able to buy a $200,000 house with $194,000 in debt plus $6,000 in home equity. And then you also are able to keep $244,000 in stock equity. The result is very clear. The one that maximizes your most assets is that last scenario. In the first scenario where you start with $250,000 in stock equity and you buy the house in cash, you end up with a $200,000 house asset and a $50,000 stock asset. So your total assets is $250,000. In the second example, when you bought it 50% with cash, you ended up with a $200,000 house asset plus $150,000 of stock assets, which combined equal $350,000 of assets. When you do the other example where you put down a 20% down payment, you still have a $200,000 house asset, but now you have a $210,000 stock asset. So your total assets has risen to $410,000. And in the situation where you leverage your home equity as much as possible, you end up with a $200,000 house asset plus a $244,000 stock asset. So your total assets rise to $444,000. Do you see the difference here? Although you take out zero debt on your stocks, you're still managing to leverage the amount of money that you have invested in your stock portfolio because you've been able to buy an asset that you did not own before while reducing your investments in stocks as little as possible. So why would you be interested in this at all? 
I've already said that the safest method is simply to buy your house in cash. Well, most people in the United States do not buy a house in cash. Now, there's a significant member of the population of the U.S. that owns their house full and clear in cash, but most bought them with debt in the first place. And what that does is it allows them to build wealth using leverage, using other people's money, in this case, the banks and the bank investors. So why would you do this? Return potential. You have a greater potential for return when you're able to increase the leverage in your life. Now, there's limits. There's obviously you should only buy a house that fits within your limits. You shouldn't buy more house simply to leverage your life more. But if you are buying a house that's easily affordable for you, then it can make sense as an investor to have greater leverage and have that leverage on your house where it's safe and protected by government standards versus having the leverage on your investments themselves. It still adds leverage to your equity portfolio because as I've demonstrated, you're able to own more stocks than you otherwise would. You will have to think about your individual risk tolerances on whether this is something that's appealing to you but it can be appealing when your return potential is higher. And the simplest way to analyze this is to go back to our fixed interest rate example. So we talked about how mortgage rates in the United States are currently around 4% per year in interest. Well, the typical expected annual return from an investment in the S&P 500 historically has been about 10% per year. Which means if you have the option of having $200,000 in home equity or $200,000 in stock equity, well, the home equity is earning you 4% a year or $8,000 in interest payments that you don't have to make. Meanwhile, the stock investment would be expected to earn, a $200,000 stock investment would be expected to earn $20,000 per year based upon the 10% average annual return over its history. That's a $12,000 difference simply by maximizing the assets that you own on the ones that give you the highest potential return. And that $12,000 is key because what you're really doing is you're gaining the potential for an additional $20,000 in return, and you have to subtract the $8,000 annual interest cost for having that mortgage debt. So again, think about your personal risk tolerances. But what I have found that's helpful for me is to always think about how confident am I in achieving a certain return? I am incredibly confident. I'm basically 100% confident of receiving a 4% annual return when I pay down my mortgage. Because that's the way my interest, my mortgage contract is structured with the bank. Every time I reduce my debt on the mortgage, they reduce the interest payments accordingly. So if I pay off $100,000 of debt on my house, then I'm going to reduce my annual interest expense by $4,000. It's a basically guaranteed 4% return. Meanwhile, the stock investments are not a guaranteed return. Even though the stock investments might average 10% a year, that's not a guaranteed 10% a year. So what you really need to focus on is what is your confidence interval on how confident you are that you will attain a 10% return. 
or a 8% return. But really what you want to know is how confident are you that you will exceed the interest rate that you're paying on the mortgage. So how confident are you that you are earning more than a 4% return over the period when you would have this debt? So if we're doing talking about a 30-year fixed rate, how confident are you that you can exceed a 4% return with your stock investments than with your simply by investing more in the stock market? And you should never, with stock investments, put a 100% return probability on achieving a return. The absolute max I would ever consider putting a probability on something is about 95%. And really, that should be hard to achieve. Anything over 80 or 90% is kind of the upper end of where you should be making your confidence assessments with your investments. But myself, I'm about 80% confident that over the course of a 30-year period, I'll be able to earn at least 8% returns in the stock market. Now, there's a 20% chance that I'm wrong and I underperform that threshold. But I'd probably say I'm 95% confident that I can beat a 4% return in the stock market. Maybe you're not. Maybe your 95% confidence level is that you can beat a 3% return. And so you should consider paying off more of your house. Or maybe your 95% confidence level is even higher than mine. And it's at 8%. And you think you can hit 8% with 95% confidence. So what's important is for you to think about your returns in terms of probabilities. Because when you pay down a mortgage debt, it has a 100% probability of reducing your interest rate costs. But when you invest in the stock market, those returns are uncertain. And that's the big risk with leverage. But if you want to leverage your equity portfolio without margin... I think one of the best methods is to maintain a mortgage on your house. In the United States, at least, mortgages are very preferential debt because the U.S. government has incentivized homeowners to take out mortgages. There are all sorts of advantages given to homeowners in the United States for those who have a mortgage. So you should at least consider using that as the way to leverage your equity portfolio. I would never recommend taking out margin debt to make increased investments simply to use other people's money in the stock market. But it is certainly appealing when you can find potential debt that is the absolute opposite of margin debt. Frankly, that tends to be a mortgage. So in summary, Over the long term, you will maximize your investment returns if you can somehow use other people's money to invest. Debt leverage allows you to access other people's money for your personal benefit. However, we must remember Benjamin Graham's words, on what terms and at what price. The terms of the debt matter, and the price of the debt also matters. Margin debt has bad terms and a high price. If you choose to leverage your portfolio, you need to select the best form of debt in which to do so. Mortgage debt tends to have the best government protections, making it probably your best available option. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider giving this podcast a rating and review. Your five-star ratings and reviews help me to grow the podcast audience. I'm really trying to push ratings and reviews right now because it's what's used in the algorithms to evaluate which shows to recommend to new listeners. So if you haven't done that already, and I know a significant number of you haven't, please consider giving me a rating and review in the podcast that you are listening to today as I would really appreciate it. Thank you for your support. The full show notes for this episode, including my outline for today's podcast, are available at diyinvesting.org slash episode 61. The members-only program for this show is available at diyinvesting.org slash patron. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stop paying fees, start building wealth. Thank you for listening to the DIY Investing Podcast. Please visit our website and subscribe to our email list at DIYinvesting.org for guides, videos, and resources to help make you a better investor. The DIY Investing Podcast is presented for general informational and entertainment purposes only. I have not considered your specific situation or risk profile, and I have not provided investment advice. The information presented on the DIY Investing Podcast should not be construed as investment advice. The views and opinions expressed on the DIY Investing Podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the show's host or sponsors. DIY Investing, its producers, sponsors, and host, Trey Henniger, shall not be liable for losses resulting from investment decisions based upon information or viewpoints presented on the DIY Investing Podcast. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.